welcome to the Talent Intelligence Podcast, where we talk all things talent acquisition, hiring, recruitment, and much more. I'm Claire Murray, Head of, Recru- Head of Marketing at a global recruitment company, Solutions Driven. This is actually quite a big day for us on the Talent Intelligence Podcast because it is episode 20. Um, and on this big day, I am delighted to be joined by Trent Cotton, who is now, Trent, you have quite a glo- a quite a, a, a job title here. So you are Senior Global Director of Talent Acquisition and Retention at Hatchworks. Is that right? That is, yeah. yes, that is correct. I think as of today, <laughs> that's right. Oh, well, congratulations. Um, and you're also the author of the book, Sprint Recruiting, which we will talk about later. So how are you today, Trent? Doing lovely. Doing lovely. Excited about our conversation. Absolutely. You're based in Atlanta, is that right? That is correct. Yes, getting ready for, uh, I just, I hate this time of year because I don't like cold. Um, So it's starting to get cold and it gets dark at night and everything. So it just kind of messes with my psyche a little bit. Yeah, same. It's five o'clock here and it has been pretty much dark for about two hours. So I'm based in Glasgow. So yeah. (laughs) No, no. Couldn't do it. Could not do it. <laughs> I'm considering investing in one of those sad lamps this year because I think it will be um, very beneficial <laughs> to me in a Scottish yeah. winter. <laughs> oh, I could not deal with that. No, I, I think my my fiance would probably cut things off because uh, I, I am just absolutely miserable to be around until about March, whenever the time changes back and I can start to feel the warm weather. Yeah, yeah, I'm not pleasant to be around. Definite, definite sun lover then. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a water sign. I was born in July, so give me, give me water and sun, and that is that is my ultimate happy place. Yeah, as a as a, as a June baby, I know exactly I know exactly where okay. you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, my daughter's a uh, gymnastic. Great. Well, listen, um, let's jump right in. So, Trent, you have a pretty interesting um, CV and background, and you've written, um, you, obviously, you've written your book about recruiting. Um, really good to just get in your own words a bit about you know your career your background how you've came to be in the kind of professional environment you're in just now okay um yeah so I, I, my background's a little bit different because I, I had to work and put myself through school so the age of 19 I started working in banking uh did that all throughout college and, and uh, whenever I graduated uh continued in banking and thought that was going to be kind of the trajectory that I wanted to go you know um I was a corporate banker, business banker, private wealth, you know, I, I did all kinds of different lending and I worked a lot with recruiting, but I hated HR and I hated recruiting because, you know, I'd have an open position as a sales leader and they would send me these people and go, did you look at the job description that I had to write to say, this is, these are the minimum qualifications. If they spell sales, that is not one of the minimum qualifications. I mean, I need them to be able to meet some of this. So I was constantly having to kind of recruit and keep my own pipeline and just send it over to HR. And then my daughter was about a year and a half. Um, and I said, you know what? A loan's a loan. I've done property loans. I've done medical practice loans. I've done church loans. I just kind of want something a little bit different. So I took a contractor job as a recruiter working for a bank and spent probably the first six months being, I'm using air quotes, trained by air quotes again, recruiters um, that work for the bank who I think their mission in life was to just get me to get out because they're like, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. And I learned uh, maybe six or seven months in one time, just talking to a hiring manager 
I was asking questions because they were kind of in the same unit that I used to work in. So I was asking about the portfolio, what's the runoff, what's this, what's that? Because it was helping me kind of determine what type of person I needed to go find from a commercial banking standpoint. And um, I remember the leader going, I've never been asked these kind of questions by HR. And it was in that moment that I said, you know what? I have something that none of these other punks have. I know business. I don't know HR, but I know business and I know how to go and leverage that to find the right talent. So fast forward 19 years, I'm still in it, love it. Um, and I've seen the industry kind of turn over the last, uh, definitely the last eight years, hyper in the last two years, just because of the pandemic and everything else. So I think you know, that's kind of what got me stuck is it's constantly changing. So it's never like, hey, I've arrived, I've mastered this. It's I've mastered this. Oh, wait, now there's something else to learn. And I like that. Absolutely. Your your story sounds quite a lot like our COO Walters. He was he was like a an executive for you know companies like Motorola and like big kind of manufacturing companies and he hated recruiters. <laughs> he yes. always and he, he said I, I the only reason probably he said the only reason you know I got into this was just to prove that I could do it better than the people who were Same. who were doing it. So yeah, you sound you guys sound Same. quite similar on that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and I always tell the kind of the adage that my, my grandmother growing up, she said, if you don't like something, go fix it. Don't complain about it. And so that was kind of the, the initial, I guess the initial thought for me was like, let me just see if I can go in there and change it up a little bit. And what, what's funny though, is that the, um, the three people, four people that were training me for those six months, a year later, they were reporting to me because yeah. I had a better relationship with the, uh, the executive, um, and was able to recruit, you know, like at the end of the day, recruiting is just sales, managing a pipeline. You're a brand ambassador, closing the deals, managing two sides of the deal. That kind of stuff was, I mean, that that's all I've known since I was 19. So making that transition into recruiting, you know, that was something that I brought back over and it's been incredibly successful for me as an individual contributor, recruiter, but then also as a leader, helping recruiters understand that this is kind of one of the core concepts of success within recruiting. Yeah, is learning how to take on sales techniques and and, and use yes. them in recruiting. Yeah, it's all about engaging with people and 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 you know meeting them on their level as well, which is so much of what sales yeah. is about. Yeah, 100%. finding the right person at the right time for the right role and being patient. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So I, I think I think actually my second question you might have slightly answered in the in in the first one because I was going to ask you I read on your a uh, site that you said you'd spent a couple of years in HR and then you found your voice um mm -hmm. and 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 I, I see I think you've maybe answered that a little bit but what did that voice look like how how did you put yourself forward how did you show that you were um, the, the 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 expert in this. The um, thing that I learned, uh, so let me kind of backtrack with a little story. Yeah. I was trained, uh, God, I was 21. I was this punk too. Uh, I was learning commercial lending. So I was like one of the youngest people doing it. I hadn't even graduated college yet, but I was minoring in, uh, I think at the time I was majoring in finance. I'm like three classes away from having a finance degree, uh, okay. but I switched to marketing at the end. But anyway, I was kind of really proud of myself. And I, I trained with this uh, older guy who had retired from banking, but got back into banking because he was bored. And he always, he would frustrate me because I would want to go into the sales call and like, what do you need? Let me sell you a product. And he would just take his sweet time. We would do a tour of the facility. 
But he always asked this one question. I called it the Genesis question. And so I adopted it whenever I became an, an, you know, a calling officer or lender or whatever, especially working with businesses. I would always ask him, how in the hell did you get this idea? Like, what made you wake up one day and say, I'm going to create a company that does this? Yeah. And to me, it was fascinating because one, especially if it was a prospect that kind of got them off the fact that this was a sales call. Mm -hmm. But as they started telling their story, I learned more about them. I learned more about the business. And in my mind, I was connecting them to the different products. And, and like, I'd walk out of there with a sales plan, but the client didn't know it because I was truly interested. I take that same approach whenever I'm going into a job. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I am sitting down with the hiring manager, I would always say, paint me a picture. What does a successful candidate look like in this role and why? And it gets outside of the job description. It gets outside of the minimum qualifications. And it really kind of, for me, it, it gives me a caricature that as I'm talking to candidates, I go, that person meets this caricature. And I can hand that over to the manager. And they're like, whoa, I didn't know these kind of people exist. I'm like, I didn't either. But I'm so glad that you, you know, took the time to really do an onboarding. Um, yeah. And that was over time, whether it was handling HR issues or it was handling you know, new opportunities or doing any kind of reorganization for my consulting days, it was always walk me through what's your end goal and let's reverse engineer and, and get back to where we are today and come up with a plan. And that is typical business consulting, but I just use it with talent as my commodity. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you also said on your site um, that, you, that you hated HR. And you, you know, the, the the minute you got into it, you hated it and you, and you immediately wanted to change it, which obviously you went in and did. But what were the first things that you changed? What were the things that you hated most? And they were your biggest priorities that you were like, I need to do something about this. Uh, so my, my first book was The Seven Deadly Sins of HR, and it came from answering that very question. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that frustrated me the most, both as a client of HR and being within HR, trying to change it was processes over people. For the life of me, I could not understand how an organization whose first word was human devalued the human and everything that they did. Um, you got to fill out this paperwork in order to get this, or you got to do this in order to do that. And I, I remember one time um, I was consulting a company and there was some kind of issue with the payroll or something like that, that you know, they, they forgot to do something. And they're like, well, we'll just pay the people on Monday. And I kind of waited for the executives in the room to say, oh, we're not going to do that. And all of them just kind of shook their head. And I said, time out. <laughs> Why in the hell would you do that? You know, there are people that are expecting that money on a Friday. You know, this is impacting their lives. You made the mistake. I said, my, my job as your advisor is cut as many on physical checks as you need to, to make sure that those people are paid on Friday and they don't have to wait over the weekend. And like the people in the HR was just like, well, that's outside of our process. And I'm like, screw the process, you know, put the human first. So that was probably the thing. You know, if you can imagine me being Rumpel Stilskin in HR, that was usually the time that I started just, you know, dancing into the floor. Yeah. Um, I think that was probably the biggest one. Um, the other thing is just bringing that business consultative uh, mindset and, and saying, okay, I own the talent mm -hmm. and talent pulls revenue. You know, it pulls the levers and revenue and it mitigates the risk. So business leaders, let's kind of talk the same language and let's mm -hmm. figure out what are your goals and then how is talent going to help you get there or prevent you from getting 
we need to handle both sides of that. Those are probably probably the two, two biggest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your your human point is is very interesting. I don't know how it's seen in the US. Obviously, I'm in the UK, but I think over here, HR is very much seen as a kind of robotic um yes. base of the company. You know, they deliver the things that, that come from above. Um and 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 HR doesn't work for the employees it works for for the business which is obviously Mm -hmm. something that you very much came in in that in that scenario that you painted there and you you changed well and and the other thing too is that i found and it's gotten a little bit better there there are still some organizations that i'll consult and i go oh god here we go again people get into hr because there's a control aspect of it you know there's a fear that oh hr is in the room um versus me i'm like yeah i'm in hr but just understand i'm going to cuss like a sailor if you're drinking i'm going to drink too and i'll probably <laughs> put you on the table you know let, let, let's kind of break down that wall there are some in hr that love being that wizard of oz you know the voice behind the curtain mm-hmm. um my challenge to hr is get out get out from behind that curtain get out from that ivory tower and be like shoulder to shoulder with your your business leaders and help them quickly solve problems and if you do that, one, you're going to learn so much about the business unit, about, you know, the, the, the needs in HR and how you can help transform the business. And then two, I always find that it makes HR more interesting and it makes it tolerable. You know, there's processes that we have to follow. There's compliance stuff that we, it's part of the job. The real fun is getting in there and saying, okay, what are your goals and how can I, as your HR partner or your talent partner, help you achieve those goals and then be able to celebrate with them at the end and say, look, we did this. Now yeah. let's look forward. How are we going to, how are we going to crush it in 2023? Put in, put in the, the human and human resources. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, so I would really like to talk about um, your uh, sprint recruiting, right? I personally come from a tech background. So, um, I know you've been speaking to Robert, who is one of our um, growth team here. And he said, mm-hmm. Claire, you need to get this guy on the podcast. Like he has all these methodologies and um, ideas on recruiting that I haven't really heard before. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, when when I went on your website and read about sprint recruiting, I was like, this is fantastic. That's so interesting. But that's quite a tech terminology Um, very much kind of a, a SaaS and, and tech way of working. How did you, as a sales leader in financial services and then someone in HR, how did you get involved in Sprint and <laughs> Agile and, and all of that? Uh, my CHRO, Rosalind Houston, who is now at Santander, uh, when we were at BBBA, she drugged me kicking and screaming into um, probably three or four worth of training. Um, I don't like to sit still. I'm a production person, so I was like, you're taking me away from my team what does this have to do with me anyway? And she says, this is where the organization is going. We're going to be transforming after us. Then transform and tell me how it goes. You know, I don't <laughs> want to be in the class. Um, so begrudgingly, I went through design thinking, Kanban training, and then ultimately Agile. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because we went through Kanban first. I was like, okay, I might be able to use some of the stuff, be able to visualize the work and whip limits and all that. And then we went through um, a, a more deep dive of agile transformation, not just 
learning the agile process. So everything from Scrum to points and storyboards and epics and what does all that mean? Uh, we were doing it more from a client standpoint because our IT group was going through that uh, agile transformation. So they wanted us to be able to know the lingo, which was great. It was fascinating. And then we went through design thinking, uh, kind of taking a process from beginning to end and putting everything client-centric and all that. So I, I came out of all of that energized. I wasn't going to tell anybody, but I was actually energized <laughs> because then I, then I would have to admit that I was wrong. Yeah. Um, and then I, but I kept coming back to if they're able, if, if Facebook, Google, Twitter, all of them, if, if they're able to do this, use this methodology to create client-centric products that can go to market quicker and more efficiently, how can I, how can I do that in talent? You know, there's got to be a way. And so I started kind of tinkering around with the team that I have. Um, I read Jeff Sutherland's book, Scrum, uh, just to kind of go a little bit deeper. And then as a team, we kind of sat down and said, what are the four things that we see as being the most dysfunctional part of uh, recruiting? The first one is everything's a priority, which means nothing's a priority. Mm -hmm. The second one is there was no drumbeat. You know, it was like a song that just kept on going and kept on going. There was no time for us to stop and go, what's working and what's not? Uh, we were losing candidates because we were just throwing candidates into the process. Managers were taking forever. And that led to the last one, which was the feedback loop was broken. So feedback was required from us, but not from our client. And who was the person who lost? The candidate. Every time. So I went through being the data person that I am and pulled out of our ATS. How long does it take from a candidate to get from the time they apply to the time they get some kind of decision, offer or not, uh, for the group that I was handling? And it was 67 days. And it is one of the few times that I've ever done any kind of analysis where I'm looking at two bottlenecks that were on a bar chart that were just, uh, they, were, they were flaming hot red mm -hmm. and obvious. And it was two weeks from the time we submitted a candidate to the time we got feedback. And then another two or three weeks after the interview. And I'm going, I'm getting hammered by my line of business, but they're the ones that are driving this. They're the, they're the issue, you know? So it was like an aha moment. Mm -hmm. So we developed the four principles to counteract those dysfunctions. The first one is the sprint itself creates efficiency. So we create bookends over the next two weeks. What do we need to accomplish? The next step is we force the line of business to assign point values or prioritization mm -hmm. to the number of jobs that they want, that they have got to get filled in that two weeks. And then we establish whip limits for candidates. So once we reach a certain, let's just say five candidates in interview, we stop working on that position and work on the next one in priority. So that gives us that drumbeat. Mm -hmm. um, and it also helps us be able to protect the candidate experience. And then finally, we put a feedback loop mandatory, 48 hours. I submit a candidate, 48 hours, you have to give me feedback. You interview a candidate, 48 hours, I have to be able to get feedback. And it started working. Uh, within three sprints, I pulled the same data, and we had reduced it from 67 days to 27. Wow. And like I, I ran the numbers six different ways. I was like, there, there's no way in hell that we did that. But just putting in those four principles, even while we were trying to test and see what worked, we were able to see some pretty significant growth um, in the number of candidates we were able to move on quickly, mm -hmm. and then also to the candidate experience. So in my current position, it's, um, you know, we are a technology solutions provider. What we do is we go out and we build technology products for our clients that drive revenue and customer engagement. 
and you know we do nearshore and onshore. So we're recruiting both in the U.S. and all throughout Latin America. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting how, especially now, the very last principle of feedback. We're, we've started using that as a competitive edge with candidates. You know, Jose or Claire or John Smith. I'm going to submit you over to the manager, and I'll know in 48 hours if they're interested. If they're not interested, I'm going to get you with another client. But just give me 48 hours. And then the recruiters that actually manage to that, they retain their their candidates. I mean, they've mm-hmm. got a pipeline that they can just go and pluck. Mm-hmm. So probably second quarter, third quarter, start seeing it. You know, now we're on the offense going, hey, sales, we've got this number of candidates that have yeah. React and Node. Go sell some of those kind of deals because we can fill those quickly. Where before, recruiting was very reactive. Yeah, like you're, you're, you're pulling it from their needs. How, yes, yes. How did you change the mindset then from taking two weeks to give you feed, candidate feedback to, to making it 20, 40 hours? How did you go about that? People get by it. Uh, data, data. So <laughs> in sprint recruiting, um, you know, I'm a, a minor statistics and finance, so I built a dashboard and we yeah. started tracking number of points assigned by our client. What did we attain? And then what was the time to fill in in each different sprint? So they were able to see it sprint over sprint. And I even had it where we could break it down to hiring manager. And I had to do that in a couple of instances where I pulled one division and I said, look over here, your time to fill is 27 days. Look over here, it's 45. And if I strip it down, there are three managers that are driving that 45. If I take them out, it's actually 32. So having that data to be able to sit down with the CIO at the time and give him a little bit of what I like to call shut-up juice and get him to be my partner in helping us manage the hiring experience. That's what changed is the data yeah. and then creating that, that hiring partner to where we look at it as both of us, the executive and I, own that experience. And how do we motivate and hold our teams accountable to be able to bring that to fruition? Mm-hmm. You just, it, it's funny listening to you because we we do something similar here, right? But we don't call it sprint recruiting. Um, I guess that it's just maybe not a, a not not a terminology that, that the teams use, but very much that like X happens on X date. This happens. Mm-hmm. We work on milestones and and payments attached to milestones as well. So uh-huh. kind of keeps everything moving along. Um, as 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 well. So. Um, yeah, data is another way that, that that we have managed to kind of do that as well. You know, the quicker that you get your candidates in, the more likely they are to stay engaged, the less likely they are to ghost you and disappear, take counter offers yep. from their company. So, yeah. And, and especially in this market, you know, so we, mm. you know, we service a lot of clients and there are some that, you know, may move a little bit slower. So if we've got a star candidate and it comes down to, um, you know, company A that tends to move about two or three weeks for company B that we can get something in seven days. I'm going to put them to company B every day because, you know, if you're an agency or if you're, you know, talent is, is one of the ways that you bring in revenue, I can recognize that revenue quicker by, by having the data to know which client has the need and is going to give me the feedback the quickest. Mm-hmm. You know, that client benefits. We look fantastic. You know, because they're like, wow, you're able to move quick. And then, you know, my, my CEO likes it because we're able to recognize revenue quicker. So it all kind of works, but it all starts and ends with that data. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny you say it's becoming more data-led. I remember, 
which was 2011, 2012 or something. I, I was just a single producer uh, on a team, but I kept all of my metrics. And I remember uh, the leader at the time was like, uh, we're going to reduce, you know, it was one of the tools that I was using because uh, nobody's using it. And I had how many source hires I got from each different resource broken down by month, broken down by salary band and revenue per FTE. <laughs> I mean, I was a granular and um, I remember he said that and, and we were in our team meeting and it just kind of jumped out. I said, over my cold dead body, because 32% of my hires come from that. So if I need to get my line of business to, to pay for it, then I'll do it. But you are not going to strip out a third of, you know, the most successful candidates I've been able to do because of, of that source. So, and, and it's just kind of funny that now people know that kind of stuff, but, you know, early on, I was the weirdo. They're like, why do you have all these dashboards? Yeah. Like, why don't you just fill roles? I'm like, because I need, I use the data to find ways that I can work smarter, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm lazy. So data and technology enable me to be efficient. So that way I can be lazy. So it's just, it's kind of a nice little balance I can maintain. And also you're a finance guy. So of course, I you am a finance data. guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love data. <laughs> Yeah, I love the I love the quote by William Deming that says, uh, "In God we trust; everyone else must bring data." <laughs> I have never heard that. Really? Before, oh, I live yeah. by it. I live by it. It'll probably go on my tombstone. I will. I will. I, I might bring that to our next monthly uh, review. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, but it's not like it's not just data. Um, that, that, that has just changed recruitment recently. Um, I'm sure that you will. Um, and as, as we've said, you know, things are getting much faster and I'm sure that you will have also experienced that. You, you know, teams who use sprint recruiting, obviously, you know, they, they cope better with, I imagine, the speed of how the market's going. Yes. Yeah. You will, your, your team's probably living proof of that, right? But you also go and do speeches. You go and talk to companies. You know, you, you, you obviously have the book. How many do you have people coming to you and saying, you know, sprint recruiting has changed how we work? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and it's funny, I'm actually working on a new book that I'm trying to get out by February. Um, so a lot of the clients that I'm consulting, I'm asking them, hey, can I use this in the book? Um, <laughs> the, I guess the most recent client is, um, there's a couple and it's kind of the same issue. They had very large teams. And in doing the training and in doing some of the initial data stuff, um, I, I told the leaders, I said, my gut is telling me that you have too many team members and that you're running a lot of inefficiencies. I said, that's my gut, but I want the data to prove it. And over time, we started seeing, wow, you know, the, this recruiter is not doing what this recruiter is doing in half the time. So we started to, you know, really kind of have to dig in and go, what's going on? And so what we were able to do through Sprint, through the visualization, is find those inefficiencies, reappropriate, in some cases, uh, those recruiters to other projects where they weren't getting, we didn't have a lot of progress. So able, we were able to take, for instance, one large team, break them into three. So we created a SWAT team. We created kind of our B team that was out there working on those mid priority positions. And then we had the others that weren't necessarily on sprint. They were just kind of handling everything from an operational standpoint. You know, the, the, sometimes you'll have like 10 or 15 jobs and the, you know, the managers like, Hey, I've got nine referrals. I just, let's just process the hires that went to that team. Mm -hmm. So we were able in a couple of sprints to be able to 
basically kind of turn that team on its head. Mm -hmm. And within probably two sprints, so about a month, we started seeing significant uh, increase in, in their ability because they, they were an agency uh, and their ability to be able to recognize revenue quicker. Mm -hmm. While also being quick enough to be able to respond to market changes because part of sprint recruiting is you have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or a daily stand up with your team. And it's the same agenda every time. What did you do? yesterday what's your commitment to do about tomorrow what are your obstacles and where do you need help yeah and so we did that with with the team and we started understanding that hey there's this one job is severely priced into the market and so is this one over here so the leader went and took that with the client and said you know hey recruiter don't work on that one anymore move to the next one's in your priority and they were able to get the others and filled while the manager was fixing the compensation issue so it just allows them to move quicker and respond yeah. to the market conditions and kind of stay ahead of the game. Especially when things change so much um, oh, as they dog. do just yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This market reminds me a lot of the uh, Mike Tyson quote that says, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I kind of feel like that's been TA since 2021. Yeah. You know, yeah. hey, 2022 is going to be fantastic. Wow, here it goes, you know. So, you know, when people go, what are you looking forward to in 2023? I said, the surprise, whatever's coming, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, you know? I, we're currently doing our budgets just now. And I was I was like, I <laughs> do not think I can do a budget yeah. for anything past Q2 because right. like, who knows what is gonna happen um, next year. Um, so yeah, def, abs well, you remember the days when we would do like five-year plans and actually almost be able to, could you imagine trying to do a five-year plan? That I can't yeah. even do a five-month plan. I don't even feel comfortable going five months out. <laughs> it's, um, <clears throat> I actually don't know if you still do this in interviews now like where do you see yourself in five years and I mean who can no. predict that anymore personal professional yeah. not not a clue yeah my answer would be alive yeah <laughs> that's all I'm here's, to. here's hoping <laughs> um see when you are working with your own team you've mm -hmm. kind of touched on it a little bit but what metrics do you hold your own team to? Like, what's your kind of maybe like top three key metrics that you measure with your internal team? So I am obsessed with client NPS and candidate NPS. Yeah. Okay. Um, time to fill is a necessary evil. We're not even going to get into how much I hate it. And it's a stupid metric. We're just, but it is what it is. It's yeah. something that everybody wants. So we measure that. The biggest thing that we measure, though, is uh, sprint over sprint. How many points did we win? So how often, what was the percentage that we met the definition of success? Because essentially, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. So if our sales team and CE and our CEO says, with our 200 points, we want these six roles filled, and here's the prioritization. If we get five out of those six filled and it represents 80%, then we, we kind of have a baseline for that sprint. And then we yeah. look at the next one and say, okay, well, we increase it to 85 well, what did we do different? Because we increased it by 5%. Let's take some time to figure out so that way we can scale it. Or if we drop down to 60%, what happened? What were the obstacles? And we talk about it as a team in our retro and our allocation every other Monday. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, that that's incredibly important. The I think if you were to talk to my team, they would probably, any team that I've managed in the last four or five years, they would tell you that once a point value is assigned to a job, I am absolutely obsessed about it. Don't talk okay. to me about something that doesn't have points. I want to know exactly where we are on this one. Um, 
And it just, for me, it, it kind of helps be able to reinforce the recruiter. Look, it's okay. Out of the 28 jobs that you've been assigned, uh-huh. 10 of them have points. Those are the only 10 I want you working on for the next two weeks. The other 14, if the manager calls or you get any kind of feedback or, or blowback from them, call me. I'll give you the cover fire, but you stay on those 10 until we get them closed. Almost you, you you expect laser focus for the time that they're on totally. that sprint and that's that's their metric of success. It is. It is. And and it's my job as a leader to one, hold them accountable to that, two, remind them of that, and three, give them cover fire where they need it. Mm-hmm. Um so we had just it's been like maybe two years. Maybe two years, I think, at the bank. And um my boss at the time was over the HR partners in TA. So I reported directly her and all the HR partners, and I loved her, but I hated whenever she traveled in the market because I knew I was going to get some call about some random position to that west, and she called me on Friday night at like quarter to seven my time. She forgot the time change and um, was asking me about this minute role, like a teller position out some kind of branch, and the regional executive was in the car with her. And uh, I said, Reba, I don't, I don't recognize that role. She said, well, it is top priority according to the regional manager. And I said, is the regional in the car with you? Yeah. I said, okay, help me understand why this, uh, I'm looking over the sprint report. You haven't assigned points to this in the last six weeks. So when did this become a priority? Well, I mean, it's just been open a long time. I said, I understand, but that's not really answering my question. The priority change? Because if so, yeah. then I can remove the one that you said is really important. The revenue, by the way, the revenue uh, driver and replace it with this operational person that's a teller out in one of your crazy branches out in the country. All you gotta do is say the word. She goes, no, 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 we're good, just stay the course. I said, so you wanna wait and talk about this in the next sprint? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, Reba, is there anything else I can do for you? So before that, it would have been me calling the recruiter and figuring out where are we, and let's stop, drop, and get this teller role filled. But by having this process, I level set and said, this is how you define success what's changed and then kind of help our client manage to their own definition of success. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's changed my job and my view uh, of what is important out of my role. Uh, it's changed it since 2017. You know, I just don't even look at leading teams the way that I used to. Yeah. And you don't get bogged down in the little things anymore. No, which is good for my personality. Um, anybody that's familiar with disc, um, personality i'm a 93 on disc which means i am just shy of being 100 percent of an a-hole but i am very task driven you know i want to make sure that we accomplish the task and yeah. almost to an obsessive amount um, but this enables me to be able to do that and hide behind the fact that metrics you know we're, we're doing metrics but yeah. this is this is to me this is where i find i find peace and i find the balance to be able to be what i need to be for my team and also be what I need to be for my client. Yeah. That's funny. You're talking about disc. We're obsessed with disc here. And and I, I, the first time I ever had disc done, um, I was I was like insulted when I first read it. And then as I read it again, I was like, I mean, it's all true. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is um, the the one that I just took, I took it 45 days ago. And then uh, we're, we're doing a, a company retreat. And so I had to take it again. And uh I think the first time I took it, like a couple of months ago, I was like an 82 on D. 
And then I took it Monday and I'm at a 93. <laughs> so I, I text my CEO. I said, I've become more of a jerk in the last 45 days. I said, I don't know if it's the company. I don't know if it's what's going on. Um, but it makes sense because, you know, as we're going into Q4, which Q4 is all about planning for 2023, I am laser focused on what do we need to do to close out the year strong, but then also what do we need to do to put ourselves to where we can come out swinging in, in Q1. So my brain is just like the, the personality side is off. I am deep into the analytics, mm -hmm. deep into driving success. So it, it makes sense why I scored so high. But I put uh, some of the negative stuff, like it says, ways not to communicate. Uh, beat around the bush, be redundant. Um, don't leave out details unless you want to be zapped. And so I put it out on Facebook and a lot of people that I used to work with or work for were on there. And I mean, they just, it was like a piranhas. I mean, they were just, it was a just jumping on it. Yeah, they were like, oh, I've experienced all 12 of these. And one of my former bosses, she goes, that, that's the only 12. I've got 12 more. And I was like, okay, that's enough. Don't make me take this down. <laughs> but like you said, it's all true. I have to laugh at it, you know, because it is who I am. Yeah. <laughs> um. That actually leads nicely into on your um you have spoken before about how recruiters often don't manage hiring managers' expectations. Now you've just done uh um you've just given me an anecdote there of how you have um done that, but how do you manage the the the, the expectations when you're doing your start of your sprint, right? So you say that when you're in your sprint, everyone has points. How do you kind of say to someone, maybe when you're first working with them, here's how we sprint, here's how we do it. Mm -hmm. You don't get to have all of that in there. How does that go down? Um, so let me go whenever I was a practitioner, not necessarily working for, I mean, we're not, we're a company that also works sometimes as an agency. So mm -hmm. at the bank um, and at my previous role, it was, you know, me working with like the division head and giving them a budget of points. So you have 500 points. I don't care how you spend them. You know, you divvy it out among your directs and they can do whatever they want. Whenever they would call and say, hey, something, what about this role over here? I would just go back and pull up the report, share the screen with them. I was like, where is it on here? And it was always sorted with the points on the top and in a uh, descending order. So, you know, the 75 to the 50 to the 25, and they keep scrolling, keep scrolling. I was like, oh, so this is one that, that wasn't, you know, like we just had the meeting on Monday, what's changed in, in prioritization? And there is a um, an option where they can do expedited, which means we throw 100 points on that one role and basically recruiting stops until we hit our whip limits on that one that's now an emergency, you know? So it gives them the flexibility to be able to do that. I kid you not, every time in three different companies, I go, do you want to expedite this role? Yeah, I said, so you want me to stop all recruiting in your region, your department or whatever, until we hit the whips on this one? It never fails. When's never. the next sprint start? When's the next part? You know, um, <laughs> maybe I can wait. Maybe I'll just get the manager to do some sourcing while you guys continue on that. Uh, so that that's kind of how I, I help them over time. It is a little bit of a mind bender, but the, again, data, if you can start proving 80% of the time that they assign points to a role, you're able to get it done in those two weeks. It starts establishing credibility in the process and the methodology. And you have fewer and fewer conversations like that. Usually the conversations happen on the client side with that recruiter getting involved. So, you know, a line manager may go to their division president and go, I'm not getting any help in recruiting. The division president says, because we've got other priorities. So 
make your case as to why this one should be higher than some of the others in the region. All of that conversation I'm not involved in, my team's not involved in, we're not bogged down in it. It's happening at the business level. If anything changes, then they engage us. So it gives them empowerment and control, but it also gives us the ability to hold them accountable. It's, it also seems like, and, and not to sound um, Gen Z, and obviously not Gen Z, but it seems like a really good way of setting boundaries professionally mm -hmm. and not burning your team out either because you you have a way to it's almost like a way to say no to people as well as to organize mm -hmm. things um yeah yeah no it is and uh early on we had uh i had uh, a couple of recruits i just loved but it was like they just worked and worked worked, worked, worked. Yeah. And i kept telling them you, you gotta stop sometimes you gotta recharge and i remember one friday afternoon it was like one o'clock i was having a one-on-one uh, -on -one with with one of the recruiters and she was about halfway through the sprint and i think she was sitting at like 60 percent of her sprint and she was going to spend the rest of the afternoon trying to do interviews trying to do this and she says i'll probably work till seven i said no nah. i said actually sitting 60 percent on day five i said you're really good you know and it looks like the way that the work is going you're going to have everything set up that by monday or tuesday you're just waiting on feedback and you'll be able to get a jump on you know some of the roles that don't have points so what i need for you to do is by 1 30 i need you to turn your computer off and go spend time with your daughter pick her up from school take her get ice cream i don't care what it is but i promise you if i see you online if i see your green dot or if it tells me that you signed in at 2 30 i will cut your access until monday morning and she didn't believe me because I cut her access at 2.31. <laughs> but she came back and she was so refreshed. You know, she's like, that's the first time I've been able to pick up my daughter in such and such time. And, and I basically said, look, going forward on a Friday afternoon, if you're if you're at a point where you're like, I can't do anything else, I'm waiting on my managers, take the day. You've mm -hmm. accomplished what we paid you to do. Go enjoy the time. And that was like a big aha for her. Um, that, that it was like, it, it's okay to leave. So yes, to your point, it helps us be able to make sure that the recruiters aren't burnt out. And it gives them something to, to feel like, hey, I won. You know, I got 95% of my sprint, or I got my 100 point close. Yeah. Uh, we celebrate those little micro uh, micro events uh, as a team. Yeah, it's a way to, it's a way to um, not incentivize, but a way to thank people and without it just being a money way going going you've you finished working for you finished done your work for this week go and go and enjoy your time somewhere else um now i, I, don't, I don't know how you keep doing this um but my next question was going to be about <laughs> retention right and this seems like it's it's um linking in together because that's obviously a good way to to keep your team happy but how do you use, do you use Sprint in re retention as part of your role at Hatchworks, right? Do you mm -hmm. use any of that methodology in retention? Um, yes. So if we are looking at, uh, let's say we're looking at the data and we see a trend uh, that's affecting our retention, we'll handle it in a Sprint, like, you know, the analysis, the data, the meeting, and, you know, all of that other kind of stuff, and hopefully have some kind of an MVP of, not a product, but um, like a minimal viable process or idea that we want to start working on in the next sprint. So I do, my, even in my personal life, things are on a sprint. Um, like I, I do personal training. Uh, I've got a personal trainer that I have to send pictures in every two weeks and like tell her how my, my eating plan. So everything in my life is on every two weeks. 
what we do is is on the retention side the way that it helps us is because now that i've got those bookends and and i've got the process to where i'm not chasing fires as a leader i can start looking at all right what's our retention look like and and i hyper focus on the first six months because that's where ta missed the boat or our hiring managers missed the boat so if i can fix that i can fix getting them after one year or two years or or whatever so the biggest thing for sprint is it gives me the time to pause look up look around and then make a plan and and do the analysis that's needed and make the recommendations and then test it in a, in a very safe environment and a, a personal question does do your personal and professional sprints do they all line up so do you just have everything like an lines end up. Date? everything lines up <laughs> everything actually no i take that back um everything lines up except for my um like my training stuff uh, my meal plan and my, my check-ins and everything i do that on the opposite friday um just because there, there's a lot involved like i've got to write you know like an update as to how closely did i follow the meal plan did i do my cardio how was my gym experience you know all that other kind of stuff and it's it's really interesting because my trainer doesn't know. I was like, sweetheart, you're doing you're doing a retro. I mean, you're asking me to do a retro yeah. so that way you can plan <laughs> and allocate my next two weeks. You know, I said you're doing agile methodology like, whether you realize let it or not. Let me talk to you about uh, yeah. about yeah. agile. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's interesting though is that for me, I like it because you know I have to take the pictures, uh, but I'm able to go back and look sprint over sprint. Uh, so, for instance, two sprints ago like something, something changed. Like, I don't, I don't know. I was starting to retain water or whatever it was because my picture didn't look like the sprint before. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that. So, you know, I, I worked with the trainer. I said, I think we need to tweak this, tweak that. Let's cut the carbs down over here. And, you know, we had that conversation. And then two weeks later, I did the next check-in and it was like, okay, that worked. So this sprint, I'm like hyper-focused on, now let's take that and scale it. Um, but it's also nice to do this personally, but also professionally, uh, looking at our sprints and saying, okay, we're now producing at 80%. When we first started this in March, we were hitting 20%. Mm -hmm. Team, that's fantastic. You've established a new baseline. Same thing on the personal side. I can go back and look at where I was in, in April versus now and go, I'm not where I want to be, but I've made some significant damn progress. And I think in recruiting, that's something that we miss. It's just constant go, 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 go. We don't take the time to celebrate and go, we've made progress. And we don't tell our own story. Now with Sprint, data tells the story for, for TA. And anyone that wants to review it, they better bring, they better bring data. Mm -hmm. You know, prove me wrong. Definite, definite finance guy, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounded a little cocky, but it's just, it, I think no, with I a lot of the TA. I meant, I meant of, the data, not the, uh, the data, not the confidence. Yeah, the <laughs> well, both, both kind of go in there. But the, the, I think that is something that a lot of TA um, organizations miss. And actually three clients that I consulted this week, I said, you're letting your client tell the story of what TA is doing. You're not using the data to tell your own story. We've got to switch that narrative. And once you start doing that, and start addressing the issues, it strengthens the relationship with your clients. Fantastic. Um, I have, this has been very interesting. I am oh. going to go and um, make make our team um, buy your book because it's been, it's been a fantastic oh, chat. I've really enjoyed this. Um, you said you're writing another book. Um, you gave I us a, a little, little teaser on that. Can you expand on that a little uh, bit? Absolutely. So it's going, um, I'm trying to stay away from the title 
talent war or war for talent. One, because it's it's kind of burnt out and it's old. Uh, the other is um, I have a very special place in my heart for veterans, and I don't want to diminish what they actually experience, whether it's battle or war or whatever. Yes. But essentially, coming up with um, uh, I'm a nerd, I'm a history nerd, um, so I'm taking some of the greatest generals and the greatest battles in history, telling the story, but then also talking about how that applies to TA. So just like a little teaser, um, as an example, one of the uh, titles of the chapter is called um, Burn the Ships, and it's about change management. And it tells the story about Alexander the Great whenever he landed on the shores of Persia. Yeah, he burned the ships. You know, I remember uh, reading that one of his generals says, "How are we going to get home?" He goes on Persian ships. Like he eliminated any kind of exit, and out of that, they they had to be innovative in order to be able to attack and win their their against their enemy. And the same applies. And in, in sometimes it's like, let's try this new thing. And especially whenever I'm working with groups about sprint recruiting, it's let's try this, but you guys kind of continue to do your own little thing. And sometimes you just have to eliminate that exit in order for the change to truly take hold. And for me, looking at recession, uh, if you look at 2008 recession, look at how many companies sprouted as a result of that. Innovation comes from your back being against the wall. Um, so that that's kind of the the, the storyline that I try to take. And then I pull in you know a business that their banks were against the wall and they had to implement change. What do they do? But I'm also bringing in different TA leaders uh, in each different chapter to kind of tell their story about how they use the principles. So it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun um, reconnecting with people that uh, I've consulted or you know kind of talked with on, on panels. And I remember something that they said, I'm like, hey, can, you know, can we kind of chat and unpack that? So my goal is that it's not just a history thing or a you know battle thing, but it's something that someone can, uh, as a TA leader or even a recruiter, can go in and say. Here's how it happened in history. Here's what the principle means to me in TA. Here's a business that did it, and here's a TA person that did it. And then the call to action is, how are you going to do it? You know, what's going to be your story? So that, that's kind of kind of where I am right now. We're about three, 300 pages, I think. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's too long and what's too short, but I could... You I could go for it. So. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, my degree was in history and I work in recruitment, so I'm I, I'm I'm going to keep an eye on your LinkedIn and I'm going to get that when it comes out. So awesome, yeah! I'll I'll send you a little preview. How about that? Oh, fantastic! That would be great. Yeah. Love to have your influence on that. <laughs> um, Trent, I think we've went well over time. I think I said about <laughs> thirty minutes, forty minutes, and we're now at an hour. But I am um, it's 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 all been fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great. Bye.